are in a series that we started last week, and this will be probably the majority of the year. It will be the majority of the year, and we're going through the Gospel of Luke and talking about what is life with Jesus. What does that mean? What does that look like? How does that change things? And so we're in week two of that. And uh, before we get started, I just want to pray for us as we begin our time. So God, we ask that you would open our hearts. Father, speak to us. We want you. Uh, we want to hear from you. We want to learn from you. We want to worship you. We want to, we want to really know you, God. We want to know what life is with you, Jesus. And so I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, allow us to just take this time that is carved out as sacred in the beginning of our weeks to hear your voice. We pray that this time would be profitable for us and would change us. I pray, God, that you would do even more than we expected that you would do when we came in here this morning. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, we, we all have problems in life, big and small, and, and those can be you know, things that you've been dealing with for a long time. They can be things that are, have just kind of come up, but we've all got various problems in life, and we want our faith, if you're, if you're a Christian especially, and if, if you're exploring uh, Christianity, this is maybe what's even bringing you here, is we want our faith to help us. We want faith to actually help us in the struggles and in the problems and the things that we are dealing with in life. We don't want faith to just be some sort of religious experience or just kind of some sort of moral obligation that we have. We want faith to help us in our life, to actually make a difference for our faith to actually meet our problems. That's, that's what we want, but we, we struggle. We struggle to actually have that happen. If you're a Christian, you know that God promises certain things. You know that God promises to be with you. You know that God promises to help you. You know God promises to forgive you. There's, there's things that you know that, that are available of who God is. And yet, we still struggle in our lives. We want to have a faith. Maybe, one, maybe, maybe here's one way that you could think about this. And we talked about this a little bit last week because it was in Luke's intro of his book, of the purpose that he wrote this book. But one of the ways you can maybe think about it is this. You believe, maybe you believe this, but there's a difference, you'll see, in believing that friendship exists. You can believe that friendship is out there, and that is for us kind of sometimes what faith is like. It's a belief in facts. I believe friendship exists. I believe in the concept. I know it's there. I know it's available. There's a difference between that and, man, I really count on my friend. Life is hard. I, I know who to call. Man, I've got some problems. Man, I need to get to the airport or whatever it is, and I've got some friends that I can count on. There's a difference, there's a difference between believing something, the facts of it and the truth of it, and actually counting on it, resting on it, relying on it, experiencing it. And those are often two different ways to think about faith. You can believe in God and the truths about God, or you can experience the truth about God and say, I've got a friend I can count on. This actually is not just a concept of a God I believe, and I don't just believe in God's truth or God's forgiveness or God's presence. I am counting on it, experiencing it. That is what we want, right? I mean, we want the struggles and the problems that we have, not to just say, yeah, yeah I've got faith, but that it actually meets the struggles and the problems. That is what we desire to happen, and, and we struggle to have that be the case. For some of you, maybe it's suffering in your life. And you struggle, even though you know God is comfort and God is presence, you struggle 
to actually experience what God promises is true for you. You struggle to believe that, or, or maybe it's sin in your life. And you feel like, man, I, I keep going back to this stuff, and I keep walking into this stuff, and I keep, fall, I keep being tempted. And, and you know God forgives. You know maybe even that God is better than the things you're choosing, but you struggle to actually experience it. It can be stress, it can be anxiety, it can be burdens that we have, it can be all sorts of things. But what we want is a kind of faith, a kind of faith that takes who God is and what, God's, what God promises and have that actually meet the issues in our life. That's, that is what we desire. What if we actually had that? What if we actually had a faith that we took in all that God says he is and all God says he does and wants to do, and we took it in and experienced that? Really, that's what Luke is writing for. And Luke says that at the beginning of his book, that he writes to give us a certain faith, which doesn't just mean that the facts are more clicked into our head, but that they are experienced. And today, he's going to help us even more see what that looks like and even more see how do we get a faith. How do we get a faith that meets the problems of our life, that meets the difficulties in our life? And so I, I want you to think about your life and where it is that you need that right now, where it is that you need the things that you know to actually make a difference into the problems and the struggles that you have. And so to explore that, we need to see what is, you know, what are we even talking about when we talk about faith? What is it that God promises? How do we receive those promises at a deeper level? And, and then what happens if, if that takes place? Th those are the three things that we're going to look at today. So we just start with this. What does God promise? Luke goes from his intro telling a man named Theophilus, but intended for a wider audience. He tells him, I want this for you. And then he goes into stories of helping us see what that looks like and how it comes to pass. So let's read the first part of this. Here's what it says. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight. That's important part. Living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive. And both of them were well along in years. A polite way of saying they were old. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Only one person was allowed to go in. There's several priests. Maybe once in your life you were chosen for this, what he was chosen for. At that hour, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. 
and he will go before him, before God, in the spirit and power of Elijah, one of the great Old Testament prophets, to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Now, when we're talking about how we get a faith that actually meets the issues, the problems, the struggles that we have in our life, we have to start with what are we talking about faith in? What does God promise? And this doesn't include every single promise that God gives to us, but it is a good snapshot or summary in a lot of ways of, of the promises that God has for us. Now, here's the situation. We just, we just read it, but here's the situation that the promises come into. It starts with saying, in, in the days of King Herod, that is already setting up the situation to say, this is not good. There's problems. There's struggles. Herod, you can look it up on Wikipedia or read history books. I mean, Herod Antipas, who this, is, who this was, was a notoriously ruthless leader. He killed members of his own family for not doing the things that he wanted. He was an awful leader. He was a great uh, architectural leader. He had a lot of projects and things like that. But for the Jewish people who he was supposed to be king of, he was awful. He was a horrible person. So under his leadership, which was under Rome, Rome had conquered you know, most of the known world. And in Jerusalem, Herod is just set up as this puppet king, really. And he's an awful person. And this is where God's people are living under this reign. So to even set up the situation, starting with in the days of King Herod, isn't only to give us the historical time marker, but also to say things are not good. Things are not going well for God's people. Things are not the way that they would want them to be. And then even more than that, it's not going good for Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Today, and I'm sure many in this room have had this or you've been affected by it or know people. Uh, my wife and I have been affected by this many times over. Many people struggle with infertility, whether that's miscarriage or not being able to have a child or, or whatever it is, people struggle. That's hard today. Back then, it was devastating. It was, it was extremely shameful. You, everything depended on your kids. Everything depended on your children. And to not be able to have kids was seen as God turning his back on you. So you've got un, in the days of King Herod, which is to say this is already not good for God's people. They're already living under a ruthless leader. And then to say here are two very godly people, he makes a point of saying. Here's two people who have followed God's laws. Here's two people who have obeyed God. Here's a priest here are people that are righteous in God's sight, which means, listen, God sees them. And he says, I know, yes, you are righteous in my sight. And yet, they had no kids. And they're old. It's not they had no kids and they just got married. It's they have no kids and they're old. They've had no kids and they've experienced, Elizabeth will tell us later, shame from the community from this. Maybe some of you have been there, not just with childlessness, but maybe some of you have been there where you feel like, I'm trying to follow God and things are not going well. I'm trying to obey God. I think, to the best of my knowledge, to the best of my uh, ability and my reasoning, I think I'm righteous in God's sight. I'm trying to obey him. I'm trying to follow him. And yet, it feels like I'm living cursed 
in something, financially or relationally or whatever it is that you feel like, I, I think if God were to show up right now, he would confirm that I am following him. And yet, the people around me maybe are going, what's wrong with Zechariah and Elizabeth? Maybe they're not following God. And maybe I'm experiencing pain at a deep level that seems up. And it's the classic question of why do bad things happen to good people? And this story is saying things are not good right now, both as a culture, in the kingdom, and with this particular righteous couple, things are not going good. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you feel like you're there now. And what God does is he promises something. An angel shows up on this day for Zechariah. An angel shows up and says, you're going to have a son. So first of all, that's good news. It's been a long time. I've been waiting for a long time. And the angel says, you're going to have a son. But not just a son. He says, you're going to have a special son. So you've been waiting for a long time for God to bless you. You've been waiting for a long time for God to show up. And he says, you're going to have a son and he's going to be a special son. At, at his arrival, there's going to be great joy. He is going to come in the spirit of Elijah. So he's not just telling him you're having a son. He says, I have a very special purpose for you and your child. And then not only that, it's not just that you have a son and you're going to have a special son. He says that the Messiah is going to come. So what Israel, what God's people had been waiting for for thousands of years, what they had been promised over and over and over again in the Old Testament, what all the prophets had spoken of was that one day God is going to come. He's going to bring salvation to you. And the angel shows up and says, that day is here. You are going to have a son. Wow. You're going to have a special son. Whoa. You're going to see the Messiah come because he says that his son is going to prepare the way for the Lord. He's going to prepare a people for God. So Zechariah has gotten amazing news. He's gotten the news that God is going to, and here's what he says his son's going to do. And here's what's still true. Here's still, these are still the promises that God gives to us. He says his son is going, his son is going to come and turn people to God. See, that's what God is after in your life, in my life. God is not just after us doing the right things and stopping the wrong things. God, and Rachel read it earlier in, in, the, in, the, in the, our worship, that he's after reconciliation, which is to turn our hearts back to him. It's not just that God says, you, are, you have a bunch of wrong things you're doing, I want you to do right things instead. God wants to turn our hearts to him. And Zechariah is promised, here's what your son is going to do. He is going to turn people's hearts back to God. See, this is what God wants for you. He wants to turn you to him. What God promises, one of the great things that God promises is what he will continually do is turn us to himself. That if you're not a Christian, what God wants to do is initially turn you to him, but that what God wants to do in your life is to turn your heart to him. Isn't, I mean, that's the sweet good news that God wants is for you and him to be connected. And he says, the angel says, that's what God's going to do. He's going to turn people's hearts to him. And not just that, he says he's going to turn people from disobedience to righteousness, which is to live in God's ways. 
God promises in our life that if we turn to him, if we trust him, if we, if we give ourselves to him, he will lead us step by step away from the things that are destructive and harmful in our lives and towards him and living in life with him guiding. And then he says he's also going to turn the, the hearts of fathers to their children which is representative of saying he's going to bring about reconciliation with people. That God promises, he, he shows up and says, listen, here's what's going to happen. People will be turned to me. They will be turned away from sin and to walking with me. And they'll be turned to each other again. You see, what God promises is really the same thing in our lives. He promises to you that if we come to him, he will turn our hearts to him. We will get to experience him in the ways that we desire. That he will show us a life of wisdom and a life lived with him in control instead of ourselves, and that will benefit. And that he can heal our relationships. That can, he can heal the brokenness that we have. He can create forgiveness in our marriages. He can create children and, and parents experiencing deeper joy. He can bind friendships back together. That God can change things in relationships. That we can experience peace relationally. This is what he promises. It's so much more what, what God promises all throughout the Bible. But in some ways, if you look at it, that is the summary of what God says he can do. He can heal our relationship with him. He can heal our relationship with just living in this world. And he can heal our relationships with each other. And if you think about the areas that you struggle in, you think about the areas that are difficult for you in life right now, probably they fall under one of those buckets. Whether, whether we know it or not, they, they do. And this is what God promises to do in our lives. This is the kind of faith that he says that is available to us, that if we get inside of us, changes us. The, the great truths are present, but... We do struggle still to experience them because we can look at those things and yet still we have to wonder what does it take to receive God's promises. God promises to bring joy into your life. He promises to reconcile relationships. He promises that if you let him, he can show up and change everything. God promises that if you let him, he can show up and change everything. What does it take to receive that? Which is really asking the question, what does it take to move from, I believe this fact, to I'm now experiencing it in a way that changes me? What does it take to receive that? And we really see two examples of how not to do it and how to do it. And so let's see what, how Zechariah responds. He says this, how can I know this? Which is basically saying, okay, prove it. And Zechariah asks the angel for, I'm an old man. And my wife is well along in years. I like how he says, I'm old. But when he speaks of his wife, he's still like, and she's very mature, you know. I'm old, man. And my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I like his answer. He's just like, uh, do you know who I am? I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. 
Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary because this wasn't supposed to be this giant ordeal that took forever. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them, angel and, you know, whatever, and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Now, what does it take to receive God's promises? Zechariah didn't. God promised that he was going to do these amazing things in Zechariah's life and through Zechariah and through Zechariah's child and that he was showing up in the world now to bring the Messiah, that he would turn people to him, all of that. And Zechariah didn't receive it. And often we are like him. Often we're like him because he, listen, this, this is where we and him, I think, are very similar. You, I, and I said this last week, but listen, I believe for most of you, you know God's promises. You know them. So did Zechariah. He is a priest, a pastor, someone that studies the law, someone that studies God's prophecies in the Old Testament and was very familiar with it. And is at church in some ways. He's at the temple. And in that place, he doesn't receive God's promises. So he already knew them. He knew about the Messiah. He knew what God could do. He knew that, and he didn't receive it. He didn't take it in. Listen, he even, this is even, he knew. There's stories, there's many stories in the Old Testament that Zechariah would have been very familiar with of God doing exactly what he said he was going to do to Zechariah. And some of you know this from, you know, reading the Bible or, you know, old Sunday school stories, but I mean, Abraham and Sarah, they were old and God said, Sarah, you're going to have a child. And there's Hannah, who is another woman, Samson's mom, and he says, you're going to have a child. So there's many people in the Bible that Zechariah would have known about already that God does this. This wasn't a crazy unique thing for God to show up to people well along in years and say, I'm going to give you a child. It was something that God often did when he was about to do something special and unique. So Zechariah knew the facts. He knew these things already. He had studied them. And yet, he thought, maybe that's not for me, right? I mean, he, he already knows this stuff. And if you asked him before he walked into the temple, hey, Zechariah, do you believe Abraham and Sarah's story? He would say, of course I do. Do you believe that God can heal the infertile? Do you believe that God can open the womb? Yes, of course I do. I know the stories. And then he walks into the temple and says, I believe that. I know it's possible, but I don't know if it's possible for me. I believe that. I know God can do that. I know maybe God can do that. Maybe this is for you. Maybe God can do that for my friends. I've seen God. Listen, maybe sometimes have you ever found yourself even speaking to your friends and saying to them truth that you don't even believe? Saying God is in control and yet you are filled with anxiety in your life. God can forgive you and yet you are struggling with shame. God loves you. He cares for you. And yet you are battling that. God is your comforter, and yet you are broken inside and pursuing comfort everywhere else. See, a lot of times we know what's true. 
but we don't believe or know that it's true for us. We know that things are real, but we don't experience them ourselves. That is what happened with Zechariah. And oftentimes, the greatest promises are the hardest to believe. Oftentimes, the greatest promises are the hardest to believe or the promises that have been delayed a long time are hard to believe. See, I understand where Zechariah is at. And I'm sure many of you do too. It's easy for us to look at him and say, what an idiot, there's an angel standing there. And yet, man, come on. Haven't you been in, in places where you feel like, I've prayed to God, I've asked God, and he hasn't shown, I'm old. I'm old. And everybody's making fun of me. And then the promise comes and says, hey, it's gonna change. But over time, we grow cynical. Over time, we grow doubtful. Over time, we grow hardened, and it's hard to believe that God can actually change things. This is often, I think, why we struggle to receive God's promises, to take them in and actually experience them, because we've lived life like Zechariah and have experienced. What Zechariah says to the angel is this. How can I prove it? How can I know this? Come on. How can I really know that God's going to do this. Because I thought before that God was going to do this. I prayed before. I asked before. Maybe, you know, Zechariah had days when he's like, today I know is going to be the day that we're going to have a child. And, and then it didn't happen. So he says, how can I know? I need you to prove it to me. I need you to, to, to help me cross that line. I prove it. Because he doesn't believe anymore. He knows what can be, but he doesn't really believe that God can do it for him. His pro Here's another way to think about this. His problems in his life, which is what he says to the angel. He says, how can this be? And then he gives him his reason, because I'm old and my wife is old. Just to remind the angel, he says, listen, here's my problems. Do your problems feel bigger than God's promises? God promises all sorts of wonderful things to us, and, and they are, they're big. And yet a lot of times our problems seem bigger than that. And that's what Zechariah is saying. And even in the middle of the angel standing in front of him, speaking to him, Zechariah says, yeah, but listen, I'm old. How can I know this? Because, and here's my reasons why this can't work. I think we've been there, and oftentimes we stay there. We stay stuck. We want a faith that makes a difference in our life, a faith that meets our problems and helps us not just believe in the concept of friendship, but actually be able to count on a friend, not just believe in God, that he's powerful, that he's loving, that he's comforting, but actually experience those things, and yet it's hard to receive, often like Zechariah. So what can actually help us? Is there a better way? What does it actually take? And what Luke does now is give us another scene. He shows us Zechariah, and then he shows us Mary. And she gets a promise, just like he does, and an angel shows up to her, just like for him. And it's a crazy, impossible situation, just like for him. And yet she responds in a way that can actually help us see what does it take to receive these promises. So here's what happens next. In the sixth month, that doesn't mean June, but it means uh, the sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, 
And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. We'll come back to that, but that's important. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. David was the great Israelite king that God had promised that from David's line, one day a king would come whose reign would never end. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I've not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside of her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord. And she goes on to sing this song that we'll look at in a minute. What does it take to receive God's promises? We, we see Zechariah, and then we see this picture of Mary. Just like with Zechariah, the angel comes and gives to her promises. He gives to her really the same promises in, and spells them out in a different way, but says that God is coming and he's coming as a baby. That the Messiah is coming, that the Most High God will become a child. He says God wants to be near you. God wants to actually take on flesh. God wants to enter into this world and be close to you and his people. He wants to be king and restore the brokenness and the problems in this world. He wants to make himself vulnerable as one of you, a baby, and to invite you into life with him. Let me, let me just say this. Do you know that no other religion claims this? If you're exploring Christianity especially, or maybe kind of wondering, aren't all religions the same? And don't they basically just say, be a good person and don't kill people? Isn't that kind of just the gist of religion? Christianity is very different from that. We still say don't kill people and, and you should be good, but it, it's different. It says that God actually entered into humanity. That God himself became a child. No other religion claims such a claim. No other religion even, even tries to claim that. They don't want to. That religion is us saying we need to get to God in some way. 
We need to obey enough to get to God. We need to believe enough to get to God. We need to, or, or if it's not God, it might be nirvana or some kind of ethereal state. But in essence, everything is, whether it's paradise or God or nirvana or whatever it is, we do something to go to God and experience God. And in Christianity, it says God came down to us and became a baby. Most religions would say that is laughable. It's, it's mock-worthy that God will become a baby. Christianity says God wanted to make himself available to us and experience our world and our life, and he entered in. Those are huge promises that make huge differences in our lives and that God said to Mary, listen, the angel shows up to Zechariah and he says, you're going to have a son. You're, you're barren and you're going to have a son. That's a lot. He tells Mary, it's not just infertility, it's virginity that I'm overcoming. That's even greater promise. He tells Zechariah, you're going to have a son who's going to be a prophet of the Most High. He tells Mary, you are going to have the child that is the Most High. An even greater promise. He tells, he tells these promises. And Zechariah, like I think many of us, which I get, we struggle to believe. We think maybe God's promises can be for someone else, but maybe not for us. But Mary, she gives us a better way. Here, here's what Mary does. There's, there's really four things that can help us to understand what it takes to receive God's promises. That if you want your faith to meet your problems, if you want your struggles and your difficulties, and you want faith to actually be received and transform those things, Luke is giving us Mary as a picture of what that looks like. So here's, here's four things that, that really we see in her. First is that she asks some questions, which is similar to Zechariah, but the questions are different. It says, when she hears what the angel says, she was deeply troubled and wondered about these things. So her mind is engaged. She isn't just going, oh, it's an angel. Oh, I'm, gonna I'm a virgin. I'm going to have a baby. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's Tuesday. I thought maybe that happened on Wednesday, but okay, got it. She's like, that's kind of weird. But unlike Zechariah, see, Zechariah's question is this, prove it. Zechariah's question is, how can I know this? How can I believe you? How can I really know that what you are telling me is true? Mary's question says, how, tell me how this is going to happen. Explain it to me. See, there's different kinds of questions. If you want faith to become real in your life, if you want to experience it, if you want it to meet the problems and the struggles that you have, one of the first things that we actually have to do is to have honest questions like Mary did. To actually bring our honest questions to God, but not questions that are covered in a cynicism or questions that are actually defensive questions. There's different kinds of questions. Uh, even if you think about conflict that you might have with a spouse or a friend, and, and you might say to someone, how could you say that? Which doesn't really mean, hey, could you explain to me how it is that you would say that? How could you say that really is just not a question, it's a statement. A lot of times with God, that's how our questions are. We might be struggling with grief, we might be struggling with anxiety, and we've got questions, and we might throw them out there and say, God, how could you let this happen to me? Or I don't understand why you would do this. Or God, how, how can I really trust you? And those are questions that actually keep us from answers. 
Those are questions we're actually using as statements, I don't believe you, instead of honest questions that are actually saying, God, I'm struggling with this. Can you explain it to me? See, God wants to hear your questions. He wants to hear your questions. In fact, if you want faith to make a real difference in your life, Mary starts with questions. She doesn't just say, okay, cool. She starts with saying, tell me how this can be. Can you explain it a little bit to me? See, if you want faith to actually make a difference in your life, often the first step is going to be honest questions where your heart is actually humble and you want to actually hear what God has to say about it. Maybe you just have to ask yourself that. Do you want to actually hear what God has to say about the struggles and the difficulties and the pressures in your life? Do you want to actually hear his answer? We have to slow down. We have to, like Mary, wonder about these things. That's where it starts. Second thing that she shows us of how we can receive God's promises, is that she has a submission to God. Both Zechariah and Mary are shown something impossible. You're, gonna, you, you're old, you're going to have a baby. You're a virgin, you're going to have a baby. They're both shown something impossible. Zechariah explains why that's not realistic. He says, how, how can I know that this is possible? Because I'm old, my wife's old. And a lot of times, the things that God speaks to us in our life, we tell God why that's not possible either. God, I don't, I don't, I don't think you understand. We, we might think we're the exception. God, I don't think you understand. I don't have the time. God, I don't think you understand. I've tried before. God, I don't think you understand. They're not like that. I've, I've tried before. God, I don't think you understand. I've already, I've already tried in this way. God, I don't think you understand. The money is not there. God, I don't think you understand. If I did that, if I obeyed you, this would happen. A lot of times, faith is hard to actually click and be experienced in our life because like Zechariah, we bring the reasons that what God says won't really work out. Listen, Mary, do you know how hard it was going to be for Mary? She's a young girl engaged, and she's told, before you've had sexual relations, you're going to be pregnant. Unwed mothers today, difficult. Unwed mothers today, usually, and if you're an unwed mother, I'm not saying this to, to shame you, but usually society is going to have kind of some shame associated with that. A couple thousand years ago in the Middle East, that is extremely intensified. No one was going to see Mary before she was married and go, oh, you're expecting. They're going to say, whore? Later in Jesus' life, people even said that about Mary. They accused her. They said to Jesus, at least we know who our dad is. So Mary knew what she's signing up for. In fact, you could get the death penalty for this in that society, as you can in other places in the world today. Mary knew what she was signing up for. At the least, shame and thought that she was a tramp. At the least, ostracization and perhaps death. When God speaks into our life and he says, 
I want you to take these promises. I want you to follow me. Often our hearts go, yeah, but this and this. And, and we have got all the yeah, buts. Yeah, but, yeah, but. And Mary says some amazing and beautiful words. She says, let it be done to me as you say. I'm your servant. See, if you want faith to actually make a difference, if you want it to click, if you want to actually experience the benefits, sometimes that's not going to happen until you step out and actually do the things that God's calling you into. If you want to experience the benefits of trusting in God and faith, a lot of times you're not going to have that until you walk into it. My kids, they, they like to play the trust fall game. We're like a, a corporation, so we, I, we, do a, we do the human knot and trust falls, you know, to build trust on our family team. But they like to do trust falls. But sometimes they're not very trusting. And so they stand like this, and I say, okay, fall back. And they go, and do that. And then I kind of catch them, but they're like, oh, that, that wasn't really fun. I'm like, well, yeah, because you're, you're just stepping back. And when they actually allow themselves to completely fall back, and then I catch them an inch from the ground, then they go, whoa, that was fun, you know? And that is often what it's like with God. You see, you want to experience the joy and the difference of the rush. And I, and I don't, you know, I'm using a, an illustration where it's an adrenaline thing, but you want to experience the joy and the blessedness of feeling, whoa, God is with me. You want that. I want that. But that doesn't happen until we actually say, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. Do to me as you say. Because when we are guarding ourselves and kind of stepping out, but saying, yeah, but I'm old, yeah, but God, don't you understand that this is going to, then we never actually experience the joy of falling into God's arms and experiencing faith. You can't experience faith until you move out in faith. Mary shows us that one of the ways that we receive God's promises is submission, release. What does that mean for you? See, maybe the reason that faith hasn't totally felt real in your struggle or your problems is because you're not actually willing to release the excuses and actually step out. And, and listen, I'm not saying that that means it's going to be easy. Just trust God, and as soon as you do, you'll see, oh, everyone in the community said, I bet you're a virgin, aren't you? Bet this was an angel that did this. That's not what it means. You might step out in faith, and it still is hard. But what you will experience is your faith becoming more real and changing and transforming your life. The third thing, and this is kind of hard to see because we haven't read the song yet that I'll, I'll show in, in a second. But the third thing we see of what it takes to receive God's promises is meditation on what he says. Now, I'm going to go quick on this one just because I haven't shown it to you yet. But Mary's going to sing this song. But the song is filled with allusions or references from the Old Testament scriptures, particularly the story of Hannah, but, but all these different promises of God, which means that was on Mary's heart and her mind. You don't break into song all of a sudden and start quoting the Bible unless you've been thinking about that. 
unless that's been what you've been pondering and experiencing. And part of, for Mary, what led her to receive God's promises is that she, and we, we, are, we hear this about Mary later in Luke, that one of the patterns that she often did is stored up or treasured up things in her heart. That she's taking what God's saying and thinking about it. Meditating on his truth and who he is and his character. See, if you want to receive God's promises, instead of just kind of hearing them, part of what we have to do is to actually take the time to listen to what he says, to read the Bible, to say, God, I need, I want to know who you are. Help me. And to store it up in our hearts. And then the fourth, final thing, what it takes, is community. This is one of the things that stood out to me the most from this story when I was reading it. Mary had an angel show up. That's amazing. If any of us had an angel show up and speak into the difficulty in your life, if you had whatever it is that's going on, work stuff, marriage stuff, parenting stuff, just kind of emotional stuff, whatever it is, if you had an angel show up and say, listen, I'm gonna gonna give some truth to you now, you would probably go, whoa, okay. But you know what's interesting with Mary? It helps her. It helps her. She believes it. She submits to it. But what we get from Mary is this. I'm your servant. Do to me what you say. That's what we get. It's not until she goes to be with Elizabeth that her heart moves from simple obedience and submission to joy. Where she says, I'm praising God. Where she says, God has done great things for me. See, Mary starts in a place of saying, okay, I believe, and I believe to the point that I say, I'm your servant, and I'll do it. And that's good. That's not bad. To start with, I've got some questions, and then to move to, okay, I'm going to obey, even though I know what it's going to cost, that is good. But it's not until Mary goes to be with Elizabeth, and she has community. And Elizabeth points some things out to her. And Elizabeth brings out the truth that God already spoke and speaks it into Mary, someone she knew, someone she knew cared about her, that it actually changed her heart in such a way that she responds in joy. See, you and I need people in our life. We can't do it on our own. Even if you had an angel, that wouldn't be enough to make faith joyful to make faith confidence, to make faith peace. Even if an angel of God showed up to you, it wouldn't be enough. It's not until she has community. What I love about that is God knew she needed that. Even the angel says to her, consider Elizabeth, think about her. And it's no accident that then she actually goes, okay, I'm gonna consider her some more. I'm gonna go visit with her. God knew that Mary needed that. God knows, listen, God knows that we need more than a personal faith. God knows that you need more than just the Bible, than just a podcast, than just your own individual experience. God knows that the faith that you desire, where it actually is clicking and feeling like it's making a difference, God knows for that to happen, you've got to have other people in your life. Many of you have heard me say this over and over and over again, and I think maybe there's some different groups of people in here. I think there's some of you that would testify, amen. 
you wouldn't say amen because we don't really say that here, but, if, but you could. You could shout out amen, okay? Some of you would testify, man, that, that, that's happened. That's kind of what the, the Ryans and the Tromador said. Man, that, that happened. I felt God show up my life in community. Some of you would say, yeah, exactly. And some of you might say, okay, yeah, I believe that in theory. And yet when it actually comes time to needing it, oftentimes we actually pull away still and think, I need an angel or I need, you know, just to read the Bible or just kind of me and God. And some of you maybe just don't believe it. You do still think that you can handle it, you and God. But one of the things that this story is giving to us is that in order for faith to become more certain or more real or drop down levels deep is that you need a friend. You need a friend. And, and Elizabeth even interprets for her a little bit what's going on. She says, you are so blessed. Look at this. I, and she basically is repeating some of what the angel said, but her friend is speaking it to her. She's t- look, this is what good friends do. They take the truth and the words of God that we've already heard, but then they just tell it to us again. We need community. We can't do it on our own. So this is the path. You want to receive God's promises? Questions, submission, meditation, community. Listen, if you're not a Christian, this is really the path for you too. That if, if you're interested in exploring the faith, it starts with questions, meditation, thinking about it more. Eventually, it's going to have to go to, okay, God, I'm gonna, I don't get it all, but I'm going to do this. And community. That's the path to taking God's promises and having them get down deeper into our heart where they actually make a difference. What happens? What happens if we accept those promises? What happens when we receive those promises? Here's the song that Mary sings. Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. You see the difference from just submission or questions. It's now this exuberance. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, All generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation, including ours, on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. She's now kind of speaking from what he's done for me to just what he's doing in general, how he's taking the barren, he's taking those that are outcasts, and, he's ta- and how when God shows up, things reverse and they change. He's scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months, and then she returned to her home. You see, what happens when we accept God's promises is this. She sings. She sings. The way this is written is that they can tell it's a a song. What was true becomes real. What was known becomes felt. What was, what was general truth about God becomes personal. She says, my, several times, my God, my Savior, what you've done for me. You see, it's moved from just things that she would have said. Yes, God is the Savior. Yes, he promised things to Abraham, just saying, he's doing this for me. Look at the great things that the Mighty One is doing for me. 
See, when we receive God's promises in the way that Mary did, what happens is joy. What happens is song. What happens is delight. Do you want your faith to move from fact to actually feeling? Do you want your faith to move from concepts that you know are true to personal reality that you experience? Mary shows us the way and she shows us what happens. And listen, it also shows us what God's desire is. God isn't just after our rote obedience. He's not just after us saying, okay, I've got some questions. Okay, thanks for the answers. Okay, I'll do what you say. He's after us singing. God wants to make your heart sing. That's what he desires for you. Not just for you to believe in him, but for you to experience him. He wants our joy to know him in such a way that we sing. See, when truth really becomes real to us, we always sing about it. If you love someone and you love them, you don't just say, I love you. You sing, I love you. You know, when you were dating and you know, for those of you that are married for a while, maybe it's been a while, but you're, you know, you were always listening to some stupid song on the radio, right? And it was like, oh, this is for my baby, you know? And you're just like, oh. And every song, you know, or, or if you really want to feel this, the, you know, Spotify put out these decade playlists, and one of them was the, the, the songs that made our heart, the most heartbreaking songs. And I was like, oh, these, are, I love all, the, I, I love kind of sad songs. And it's like, oh, these are great. And like half of them are Adele, and you're just like, oh, yes, you know? And you, when, you, when, you feel, when you want to feel something or when you do feel something, when it becomes real, you sing. And my point with that is just to say that's what God wants for us. God wants for us the experience of not just believing, but singing. To sing of God's goodness, to sing of God's power, to sing of his comfort to sing of his love, to sing of his might, to sing of his salvation. He doesn't just want us to believe that. He wants us to sing it. That emotion that you have felt over a, someone you love or someone you're angry at with, who's the girl, the country singer, I keyed his car or whatever. Like whatever those songs are that you're, you want to feel that, that's what God wants for us, to sing. We're going to have an opportunity to do that in just a minute. You see, God wants our faith to take his promises and meet our problems. That's what we want. We want a faith that meets our problems and changes them. That's what we desire. And the way, the path forward is what Mary gives to us. My, my encouragement to you would be to take some sort of step. Maybe it's to ask questions that are honest questions. Maybe it's to move into community or make yourself vulnerable in community. Maybe it's submission to say, okay, God, no more excuses. Maybe it's, meditation to actually take the things of God and let them sink into your heart more. I, I don't know what the step is for you, but I would encourage you to take some step because God wants you to have a faith that takes his promises and meets your problems and changes things. We're going to take communion. When we take communion, what we remember is that Jesus' body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. That the great things that the angel promised are what came to pass. That God brings salvation that he took himself, he entered this world and took on flesh to turn us to him and to turn us to each other so we could experience the beauty of relationship with him and with one another. So we're going to take communion and then we're going to sing about the great truths of who our God is. Father, I thank you for your grace to us. 
I thank you that you gave your son to us. That you became human, that you entered into this world. I thank you, God, that your heart and your desire for us is joy. That you want us to actually feel and experience. I just thank you, God, that that's what you want for every person in this room. And I, and I pray that we would come to you even during this time that we sing and respond in communion. And we would, we would bring our hearts to you. Even as we sing, that you would allow truth to become more real for us. And so we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.